0: So do any of you recycle cans? You know, these, and I, you take these, collect them over the week or so. And I'm not talking about the blue recycle bins that we have to do for Minnesota. No, I'm talking about actually like collecting them in a bag and then bringing them to the recycling place for money. Anyone do that? Well, my mother-in-law does. There we go, there we go. Yeah, so if you do, my mother-in-law does. Um, so, so whenever we have parties and all of our pool parties and gatherings and all that, we, we gather up the cans, take them to my mother-in-law. Uh, and then she goes and turns them in for money. Well, um, but not only does she do that, but growing up, my family did that. And so I grew up in Southern California, and we collected cans. And, and we even had one of those can crushers. You ever see these things? These things are awesome, man. Like, I, I want to get another one of those just as an adult, because I remember, like, as a, as a little kid and a little me, little wimpy kid arms, like, I could crush a whole can. I felt like the Hulk, just... Bring me another one. It was awesome. So I love that can crusher. So that's what my family would do. We would collect up the cans, and then every couple months, we'd take them to the recycling place. But you see, in California, it's a little bit different. Most places, they'll just weigh it and give you an amount for the, for the weight. But see, in California, they have something different. They have what's called the California CRV. It stands for the California Redemption Value. And what that is, is that's five cents a can. Or if you're a Seinfeld fan and you're trying to do the Michigan run at ten cents a can. Okay, yeah, there we go. So, But in California, it was five cents a can. And so you can actually get a lot if you, if you collected up all these cans. And so my dad and I would do this. We'd take it out there, get the money, and then usually go like have pizza or ice cream or something like that afterwards. So there goes the money. <laughs> um, but, but this CRV, this California redemption value, is, is kind of cool. But there's a catch. It's not nearly as cool as you think it is because when you buy soda... You actually have to pay, so in California, you have to pay an additional five cents per can. Or it happens on bottles as well, and small bottles, big bottles. But it, so you pay, you, t- you take the five cents, and then you pay it per can. And then when you return the can for recycling, you get the five cents back per can. So it's kind of like they hold on to your money, and if you don't recycle it, you never get your, you never get your change back. So, so there's this, this really weird thing that happens with this with California and these cans, because you pay up front, and in a sense, to get your money back, you have to give them the can back, and then you get your money. And that's why that, that that's partly why it's called a California redemption value, is because you redeem the money, the five cents you paid, you redeem and get it back. So this word redemption, it's it's a really common word around churches. If you've been around churches for any length of time, you've seen this word redemption. Um, If you look carefully out here in Minnesota, you don't see it on the cans. But out in California, you'll see it, it actually says California redemption value on it. And in churches, if you listen to any sort of pastors preach for any length of time, you'll start hearing about redemption. But what does it actually mean? Like, I get it with the, with the cans. Okay? I pay an extra five cents a can, and I get that money back afterwards. Okay, that makes sense. But when churches talk about it, when the Bible talks about it, what is redemption? Okay? What does it really mean to be redeemed? I think about, Like, is it the same as being saved? Like, who does the redemption? Is it, is it Jesus who's redeemed, or is it us who are redeemed? Like, who redeems who and how does it work? And kind of more importantly, why is it important? Why do pastors talk about it? Why do churches talk about it? See, I think, I think redemption is one of those words that people around church all kind of pretend that they know But nobody really knows what it means. I mean, like, honestly, even before working on this service, I I was hard-pressed to come up with a simple one-sentence explanation of redemption. Think about it. If someone walked up to you and said, hey, hey, I heard this word on a Christian radio, redemption, what does that mean? (laughs) Would you be able to answer them? Like, a couple weeks ago, I don't think I could have. So it's one of those words. It's amazing how many of these words are around churches, and and we use them all the time, but We kind of know. It kind of means saved and it has to do with Jesus. But what does it really mean to be redeemed? Well, today, the book of Hosea is going to answer that question for us. We're in this series called Boundless, God's Relentless Love. And and we've been going through the book of Hosea. And what's awesome is the particular chapter we're looking at today, chapter 3, paints a picture. It answers our question what is redemption? And it paints this amazing picture of what it looks like and what it means back then and for us today. So last week, last week we talked about chapter one. And I gave you this this idea of a prophetic symbol. That this is something, this is a physical act that is symbolic of something much bigger, of a deeper spiritual truth. Okay? So it's a spiritual act that is symbolic of something much deeper. That's what a prophetic symbol is. And the book of Hosea is built around one big prophetic symbol surrounding, surrounding two people. The prophet named Hosea and then a woman named Gomer. So in chapter 1, God gave Hosea the command To go marry this woman named Gomer. And she was a little shady. We don't quite know whether she was sleeping around a lot or she was actually a prostitute, but she did not have a good reputation. But God told Hosea to say, to go marry her and love her. And and that was the physical act. The symbol that was part of this prophetic symbol was that it was symbolic of God's love for the Israelites. And even though the Israelites disobeyed God and they turned their hearts away from God, in a sense, they cheated on the one true God, Yahweh. They cheated on him with other gods. You see, this period of time, the 700s BC, it was the darkest time in the nation of Israel. The the nation had basically plunged into near chaos. The kings were corrupt and murderous. The people and the priests had turned to other gods. They were worshiping other gods of the region, such as Baal or Asherah. Um, they, they had turned their backs on the one true God, Yahweh. They started mixing in cultic practices into the temple of God. and It was, it was horrible. It, it was truly the darkest time in the history of the Israelites, the nation of Israel. And, and so, and God said, you have been adulterous, you have committed spiritually, spiritual adultery because you have loved another God instead of me, but I still love you. So that was chapter one, and he painted this picture that Hosea was to go marry this woman Gomer, and they had three kids together. Well, we go to chapter two. Chapter two takes a break from the narrative. And it tells a poem. It's this really kind of artistic, uh, emotional poem that talks about the themes of Israel's disobedience, Israel's unfaithfulness, but God's love and and the eventual restoration of Israel. So that's chapter two. Now today we're going to talk about chapter three because it picks up the narrative again. It picks up the story of Hosea and Gomer. But the story takes a really dark turn. But knowing Gomer's past, it's not a particularly unexpected turn. So that's where we're going to pick up with Hosea three. It's a super short chapter. It's only five verses. So we're going to read the whole chapter. There, you get a whole chapter of the Bible today at church. How's that? Just five verses. Okay. Um, so so that, so we're going to hit all four of, or all five of them. But what's amazing is it paints a powerful picture of what redemption means and looks like. So we're going to start with with Hosea uh, chapter 3, verse 1. You can follow along on screen, click on your device, flip to it on your Bible. So here we go. The Lord said to me, and this this is Hosea talking, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. So she leaves him. She leaves him and cheats on him. Leaves the kids and goes, hooks up with someone somehow. And we'll learn more about that. Okay? Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now, in case you think God has something, it's like cinnamon raisin bagels. No. The, the, that's just, that, that was just a traditional offering cake for the god Baal. So that's a reference to say that they love the worship of this other foreign false god. So, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. So there's chapter 3. So there you have it, okay? A real-life situation that was a prophetic symbol. It was symbolic of something bigger. Uh, so, so the summary is: Gomer leaves him. She leaves her husband and her kids, and goes to cheat on uh, um, goes to cheat on Hosea. Um, but God tells Hosea, "Take her back, love her." Okay. He sets up some ground rules. He sets some some, some good boundaries and kind of says, "Listen, okay." You can't be a prostitute, no more horn around, and sort of puts on a, a, a sexual detox for a little while, sets up some boundaries, okay? And again, remember, all of this is the prophetic symbol. It is representative, it is symbolic of God's relationship with Israel. Okay? And so, first, God loves Israel. They are his people, and he, and he is their God. He loves them and continues to love them even though they are spiritually unfaithful to him. Okay? And then just like, just like Hosea um, will have, or Gomer will have this period of time without sex, sort of that sexual detox. Um, just like th- that will be for a period of time, the text says that the Israelites will be for a period of time. They will be without leaders. They will be without national sovereignty. They will be without worship. They'll even be without their foreign gods. And incidentally, that's exactly what happened. Not long after this was written, the Assyrians, who were pretty much the, the big baddies of the, the Middle East at that time, most powerful nation, they conquered Israel and took them into captivity, took them out of Jerusalem, uh, excuse me, took them out of, the, out of Israel, their land, and took them into slavery. So what, what Hosea is talking about, that's, exactly what happened not long after this. Um, And then, but then he closed. Did you notice how he closed it? He closed it by saying that they will return to God. But they'll return to God with a healthy, reverent fear of God and once again receive his blessings. So these are themes we've seen in Hosea before. In fact, they're the dominant themes in the whole book. Israel's unfaithfulness, God's love and faithfulness, God's punishment, but also God's restoration. Those themes are all throughout the book, and we see them again in chapter 3. But there's one thing in chapter 3 that we haven't seen before in the book of Hosea. There's one twist to this that's new, and it's a little mind-blowing when you think about it is there's this idea Hosea had to buy her back. Hosea had to pay money for Gomer to come back to him. So that tells you one thing. She wasn't just shacking up with some guy. It was much deeper than that. It was more complex than that. And the truth is we don't really know exactly what the situation is. But let's look at the verse again. This is part of one and two. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. So this passage talks about Hosea having to buy back um, Gomer. And there's, there's talk of 15 shekels. Those are that's silver, and, and it's a little unclear about whether these were silver coins or if that's a unit of weight, like 15 weights full of silver. Um, and then the barley, that's barley wheat. Uh, and that, that, what is it, a homer and a lefec. That totals about, it's a little over 400 pounds of, of barley wheat. So imagine like eight or so, 50 pound bags of rice, just make it barley, Okay. Um, So that's what the selling price, that's what Gomer had to pay, excuse me, that Hosea had to pay for Gomer's freedom. So what situation did she get herself in? And we don't really know, but here are three of the more likely possibilities. First, she became somebody's property, either as a slave or a concubine. And a concubine back then was basically sort of think a servant with benefits, not really a wife, not really a servant, but a servant with benefits, okay? Uh, or she became a temple prostitute. This is a possibility. This was very common in, in the cultic temples where they would have part of the worship was sex. So it's possible that she became a, 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 a temple prostitute. Or she sold herself into slavery. Uh, that's often done because of debt, So maybe it was one of those three situations, we don't quite know. But one thing is true, that Hosea had to pay for her freedom. And out of those options, I tend to, when I'm looking at the text, I tend to lead toward one of the options of slavery. And the reason for that is we have 15 shekels of silver, and then about 400, 420 pounds of barley. And... And that has about equivalence. Some people, some theologians, scholars, historians argue that that has about a 15 shekel of silver value, which totals about 30 shekels of silver, which elsewhere in Scripture, the price of a slave is described as 30 shekels. So, now, obviously, like, currencies, currency values change across time and region, so this is by no means definitive. But given the choices, I kind of lean toward that. That seems to make the most sense, that she was, in, she was somebody's slave. And, and Hosea had to buy her freedom. He paid for it. Because redemption always has a Price. Redemption has a price. It always does. That's the first thing to understand about redemption. With the cans, remember, the I give them the five cents, and then they I have to give them the can back, and then I get my five cents back. So redemption always has a price. Now in Hosea's case, Okay, his wife. So I'm again. I'm guessing that his wife was in some type of slavery, but God commanded him to get her back. So he paid, and clearly this was no small amount. But he paid, and in Israel, in Israel's case, okay, they would not slay, stay slaves to Israel forever. To to Assyria forever, they were slaves. To Assyria, but it was not going to be the rest of their life because eventually God redeemed them. He freed them, and they would return to him. Now, now this is an incredible story. That's part of why I love Hosea. Is it's an incredible story of God's boundless love, an enormous amount of love, and the redemption that he gives to his people, the Israelites. But the idea of redemption doesn't end with the Israelites. The story of God continues, and the story of God's redemption continues with us. It continued because of Jesus Christ. And in fact, throughout the, the New Testament, redemption is a common theme. We see it in the Gospels. Jesus talks about the idea of redemption. We see it in Paul's letters in the epistles. Paul talks about redemption. So here, just just a few of the verses, any number of the verses I could have quoted out of the New Testament. Christ redeemed us from the, the curse of the law. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Jesus gave himself to us to redeem us from all wickedness. But notice what all of these verses have in common. Our redemption is all about Jesus. It is all of it. It is found entirely. It begins and ends with Jesus. But we still haven't really answered the question. What is redemption? That's kind of the million-dollar question today. But what is it really? Okay, I get the picture that, like, Gomer was freed because Hosea paid some money, um, and the Israelites will be freed from Assyrian captivity. But what does redemption for us look like? Well, the Greek word that's used often for redemption sheds a little light on this. So, this Greek word is the exact word for buying a slave's freedom. That's the word redemption. It, which, incidentally, is also one of the, the other reasons I tend to lean toward the idea that Gomer was in some type of slavery because that's the common language that's used through both the Old and the New Testament for redemption is slavery. Um, and so, so, yeah, so th- that the New Testament talks about this word redemption explicitly is the word for buying a slave's freedom. So when it says that Jesus redeemed us, that in Christ we are redeemed. It means we were the ones in slavery. We were the ones who were the slaves. Because remember, redemption has a price. Jesus paid it. Redemption has a price. Somebody's got to pay it. Jesus paid it. You see, without Christ, every one of us would be a slave to sin. That's how the Bible talks about slavery. We aren't enslaved to the Assyrians, but we are enslaved to sin. We are enslaved to our sin nature. But through Christ, he purchased our freedom. Think about that. We are no longer slaves to sin. You are no longer slaves to the law of the Old Testament. You are no longer slaves to that part of you that always seems to to draw you to what you know is wrong. We are not slaves to the part of us that is angry and selfish and jealous. In Jesus Christ, we have been bought, the price has been paid to free us from that slavery. And so when you say yes to Jesus Christ as Lord, that's what becoming a Christian is. You say yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord. You are redeemed out of slavery and into adopted life with God. You become the adopted son or daughter of God. You are no longer slaves. And that's the power of redemption. One of the websites that I love going to, I highly recommend it. Um, it's called GotQuestions.org. It is a wonderful website with with gazillions of questions and really good biblical answers. It is a rare case that I find something I don't agree with on them. It has happened on a few occasions, but I highly recommend them as a great website. GotQuestions.org. Here is how they described redemption. Uh, in one of their articles. The streets of heaven will be filled with former captives who, through no merit of their own, find themselves redeemed, forgiven, and free. Slaves to sin have become saints. No wonder we'll sing a new song. We were slaves to sin, condemned to eternal separation from God. But Jesus paid the price to redeem us, resulting in our freedom from slavery to sin and our rescue from the eternal consequences of that sin. That's what redemption is. Redemption is being bought out of slavery into something else and in christ we are we are brought into new life we are brought into restoration we are brought into the blessings of god you see there's a problem though that when it comes to you and me there's a problem with this idea of somebody else paying the price for us because our, our selfishness and our pride doesn't want to be indebted to somebody else. We don't want to be indebted to somebody else. It, it's like you go out to a great dinner with all kind of lobster and delicious food, and the bill is hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and someone else picks it up. Do, do you feel a little, a little guilty? Like, you have no problem someone buying you, like, a $50 meal. That's, <laughs> but someone buying you a $500 meal you start to get a, you feel a little guilty. Now imagine someone buying a meal for a price that you could never pay, is too large for you to ever pay. That's what redemption is. God, That Jesus paid the price that we could not pay. But there's the, we resist that because we don't want to be indebted to someone else. So as a result, a lot of times... We try to pay that price ourselves. We try to, in a sense, free ourselves from our own sin. But you know, it's it doesn't work. Gomer couldn't buy her own freedom. She needed Hosea to free her, to pay that price. The the Israelites could not free themselves from the Assyrians. God stepped in to free them. And likewise, you can't pay the price for your own sin. You cannot buy out your own freedom from sin. Neither can I. Because remember, redemption has a price. Jesus paid it. You can't pay it yourself. So stop trying. We spend a lot of energy trying to pay the price for our sins. Trying to do what Jesus had already done. You, tr- you work really hard to be a good person. You come to church, well, when you can. Okay? You read your Bible sometimes. You pray when you're a little desperate or feeling down You work really hard, you try to be a good son, you try to be a good daughter, a good husband, a good wife. You try not to yell or spend too much or or drink too much. You try. You try to be good. Maybe, maybe it's you come to church and you volunteer and you serve and you give and you come to everything. All of this can be us trying to buy our own freedom. It doesn't work. And through all of this, you try all of this and you just hope that you can be good enough to get into heaven. That when all said and done, you've done more good things than bad things and you can get into heaven. But that's not how it works. And the only result of that is ending up feeling exhausted. And I think we, we have a whole lot of exhausted people trying to be good. And thinking that's what the Christian life is but it's not so let me t- are, let me check in are you do you get exhausted trying to be good because that's what you think God wants of you that's what it, you think it means to like come back to God and I'm coming back to church and I'm trying to quit some of these bad things and I'm trying to be good and, and you just end up exhausted or the other route is and that's if you're successful The other route is you end up feeling like a failure because you can't control that that one sin that you keep going back to. You can't control your tongue. You can't control your partying. You can't control your porn. You just can't, and no matter how hard you try for a length of time, you eventually fail and then you beat yourself up over it because then maybe if I can't be good enough, maybe if I can beat myself up enough over it, then God will know I'm sorry. Sorry. But it doesn't work like that We can't buy our own freedom We are slaves To sin And I don't think you have to live More than like five minutes <laughs> In any given day To realize the darkness inside you To realize your capacity To hurt another person To realize your capacity To hurt yourself To disobey God to worship other things. So the reason that it never works is because we can't. You can't pay the price, so stop trying. And instead, you throw yourself down before Christ and say, pay the price for me. Free me from my slavery because I can't do it. And that's the amazing picture that we see in Hosea. Redemption has a price. Jesus paid it. You can't pay it yourself. So stop trying. Now to hear this, this should be the most comforting, relieving, joyous thing you've heard all week that you can stop trying to save yourself. You can stop trying to free yourself from sin and instead turn to Jesus. Jesus is our Hosea. We're Gomer in this story. We're the ones who have left him, left our creator, left the one who loves us, and turned to everything else. But Jesus is the one who can buy our freedom. And that's what being redeemed means. So I want to close by reading you a little story from a very famous uh, pastor from the the 1800s. His name was A.J. Gordon. If any of you have heard of Gordon College or Gordon-Conwell Seminary, this is the Gordon that founded those two schools. So he was a a very well-known pastor and And there's a a story that has gotten passed down from from him. One day, a young boy came into church carrying a rusty cage with several birds fluttering nervously around in it. Gordon inquired, son, where'd you get those birds? The boy replied, I trapped them in a field. Well, what are you going to do with them? Well, I'm going to play with them and then I guess I'll feed them to our old cat. And so... Gordon, then Gordon offered to buy them. But the kid was like, Pastor, you don't you don't want to buy these. They're just little wild birds. They don't even sing really well. But Gordon replied, he said, I'll give you two dollars. Two dollars for the birds in the cage. And the boy was like, sure, but but you're getting a bad deal here. You know that. Gordon was, Yep, I understand. Pay him the two bucks. The boy left. Really happy with his, his new money. And Gordon, uh, the pastor, took the, took the birds. He walked outside behind the church. He opened the door and let them go. Uh, and then the next Sunday, when he came to church, he brought the empty birdcage. And he set it on the pulpit. You know, the big, massive pulpits they had back then. He set it on the pulpit. Um... And and he was starting to talk about Christ's salvation, paying for it with his own precious blood. And this is what he said. That boy told me that the birds were not songsters, said Gordon. But when I released them and they winged their way heavenward, it seemed to me they were singing, redeemed, redeemed. Those birds knew what imprisonment felt like, and they knew what freedom felt like. So you and I have been held captive to sin. We've been beaten up. We've been exhausted trying to pay our own price. And what God is asking for is to say yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord. And have the cage door of slavery swung open. And have every one of us released free. Singing, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. Imagine a church like that. Imagine families like that. Imagine you like that. That is redemption. Join me in prayer. God, I confess, we are, we are slaves. We were slaves before we knew you. Yeah, but through Jesus, you saved us. You paid the price we cannot pay. And for that, we are indebted to you. God, we thank you that you love us. God, you love us not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are. And that you love us so much that you sent your one and only son to die. So that we could be free and have an eternal life with you. God, we don't deserve it. But you love us and you shower us with your love and your grace to call us back to you. Lord, so I, I, pray, I pray especially today for those that do not know you. For those who are still... Draw them to you and free them. Give them the courage to say yes to Jesus Christ. Give them the freedom that you long for them to have. And for all of us, Lord, let us live in the freedom that Christ has given us. God, forgive us when we we return to our sins, that we walk back into the cage. Forgive us. Draw us, compel us, pull us with your love out of slavery once again. I thank you that you are a redeeming, God, and I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.